0: Hi everybody, you're listening to the Rope Podcast with Fox and Maya. Thanks for supporting the show.
1: This is a show with adult content, so if you're not of legal age where you live, then turn off now.
0: This podcast is about rope bondage. Rope bondage is edge play with inherent risk. We strongly recommend you get proper training and listen to our episode 0 on safety and consent in rope before attempting it. Find it at the top of our FetLife page, Rope Podcast.
1: Fox is a rigger and Maya is a bottom. We are long-term rope partners who live in Bangkok, Thailand. We love to share our passion for rope with the wider community.
0: Today's episode is sponsored by you, our lovely listeners. Thank you so much for our patrons who make this podcast possible by supporting some of the costs.
1: If you'd like to help us make more Rope Podcast episodes, please go to ropepodcasts.com and visit our Patreon.
0: Hua is an artist, shibari practitioner and teacher from the UK at the time of recording based in Shanghai. She is the founder of Borderline Shibari, a platform dedicated to creating a mindful and conscious shibari community. She believes that rope bondage is a process of exploring authenticity. To her, bondage creates a connection between interior and exterior, between the elevated and the underground. In addition to her shibari work, her artwork also includes nude photography, physical theatre, installations and private sessions. Her work often derives from her BDSM practice, just as her shibari teaching involves techniques transferred from other practices. Wahwa's Shibari teaching style is more centered around intention, expression, and the emotional process of
1: rope. Wahwa, welcome on the Rope Podcast.
2: Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
1: It's such a pleasure to have you today. So to get started, please tell us how you got started with rope bondage.
2: So when I started around about six, seven years ago, before I was always quite familiar with BDSM, but I wasn't involved in a BDSM community, I wasn't really practicing kink very consciously, it just appeared naturally in a lot of my romantic uh, relationships, and in the way I kind of navigate intimacy in general with people, I've always felt like there isn't really a clear distinguishing line for me between vanilla play and kinky play, so I've always experimented with different materials and different sensations, but I never really had a very strong uh, interest in shibari beforehand. I think because generally the information that you can receive if you don't know where to look is usually very much about hardcore porn. Hmm. Uh, Yeah, and very much about uh, punishments, right? For example, a lot of Chinese people have watched a lot of military movies and things and they've seen uh, bondage in it from a political perspective or some sort of fantasy of prisoners and uh, People being transported uh, But I never really got any thrill from seeing things like that So I I didn't really understand where shibari could be enjoyed like where it could be seen as pleasurable. Okay, and then I later realized that A lot of my perception of BDSM and kink was just not really well informed, and I think I had a lot of natural interest uh, in kinky play, but I didn't really have the vocabulary to be able to describe it, or didn't even have the sense beforehand to know that this is something that can be done mindfully. This is something that can be done with care and with intention and with love, Mm. Uh, until I met people who were more in the scene. And I just happened to meet people through dating, even through vanilla dating apps and things like that. And eventually I met more and more people who I felt more safe to be able to express that, that I started to play BDSM in a much more informed way with the community, with different play partners. So I definitely was playing with uh, BDSM in general beforehand. And then I just found that I was more drawn towards rope bondage. And my interest in rope bondage, I feel like, was also connected to my interest in performance art because at the time I was doing a lot of different performances that involved my body and thinking about projects that involved a lot about manipulating the body, about contorting the body, uh, about connection, about intimacy. And rope bondage just seemed to tie everything together <laughs>
1: quite Good plan. Really.
2: Yeah, it really just felt like it summed up everything that I actually was looking for. And I saw my first Shibari performance was with Subei. Mm-hmm. Subei came to Shanghai, and it was a very, very discreet performance. It was just in an Airbnb with maybe maximum like seven people. And I was really blown away, mostly at the fact that she didn't know the person she was tying beforehand. And they could reach a very deep sense of vulnerability with each other. That is something that I felt other forms of communication just couldn't get there that fast or couldn't get there so authentically. There's always a lot of small talk involved when you're trying to get to know people often, right? Um, or we have so many guards between each other, and being able to see how shibari can really break that down in a very, not just efficient way, but in a very honest way, right? Okay. And that moved me. And from then on, I kind of understood it as more than just bondage for sexual purposes or bondage as like a, a tool that you include in your play, but actually as a culture in its own. So that's really what my... Origin of my and how did
0: that develop into a career in rope?
2: I think for a lot of people, when it comes to doing Shapari professionally, you end up falling into it professionally, it never really is a conscious choice, uh, and I think that's because no one really grows up thinking, Oh, I, I want to be a <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nobody thinks like, oh, this is my career drive. I want to tie people for a living. I want to teach you how to tie. It just comes out of necessity and it comes out of being in a rather underground community um, and then understanding that what you're doing is work. And what you're doing by taking the time and investment to learn and study it and dedicate a lot of time and energy to it, it makes sense that it will turn into your profession. My personal way of living is that I'm very bad at doing jobs that I don't like. Um, I could never hold a job that I don't have passion for. So it felt necessary that I turn whatever I'm passionate into a form of income as well. So it kind of happened out of demand. But then I realized that I don't need to keep trying to have hold um, a day job and then run off to do my shibari events every single evening and it became an issue actually because i had work where my boss would ask me if i could work overtime if i could work extra on the weekend and i would have to keep refusing because i was teaching a shibari class or i was holding a shibari event in my free time so that clash just made it more obvious to me that i wanted to jump fully into doing shibari professionally Mm
1: from from the outside you are known more as a rope top as someone who ties people uh, in your chivalry journey have you done much bottoming or have you always been more drawn to the top side
2: Actually I'm a switch and I feel like a lot of the way I teach I think it's often because of the way we see how we promote our businesses and what pictures I share but if you actually take my classes, you realize that a lot of my topics of teaching are coming from my bottoming experiences. So I started very much with more bottoming. And it's only really that a lot of my partners who I got tied by are not in China. So that's why for the last two years where I've got a little bit more access to communi- communicating with communities online and you know meeting more people, Um, that I'm more known as a rope top, but honestly, it's because COVID and I couldn't travel to see the people I get tied by.
0: What kind of uh, style or experiences do you enjoy in rope?
2: I'm not sure if there's really a specific style that speaks to me. It really does depend on my mood, my state of mind, where I'm at in my life, and on the relationship of the person that I'm with. So I would say, as a top, uh, I don't really have a star, in my opinion. But I know that my personality, I'm naturally a person who is very uh, encouraging towards conflict. I really enjoy bringing people to a point where you have you're forced to reveal yourself. You're forced to do something that is intense and something that is going to push you further in order to kind of break through. And I've just been like that as a person always in my life. I've always enjoyed like talking to people and seeing them cry. Like it's something as I, I find enjoyable too. Like I would try and like really find out what was sensitive about them and then let them reveal it to me. And then I feel really warm and tender towards that person and I wanna take care of them and I wanna show them that like, I'm really proud of them for being vulnerable and breaking down their guard, with me. so that's what I tend to do in my shibari as well. Um, and that's why a lot of people assume that my style, especially because I've learned a lot from Naka Aikira, that I'm very drawn to seminar. But I think seminar it was a tool that I can use to perform that. But sometimes it doesn't have to be through that method. Sometimes giving someone intense pleasure without giving them the satisfaction of pain can be more excruciating and can push them more than creating something that is more suffering. So I would say that I'm drawn to many different styles, uh, but I tend to find that uh, my way of tying is definitely quite slow. I like a build-up. I'm quite quiet when I tie as well. I don't tend to... Uh, Have a very domineering um, Persona when I tie people I'm also very small rigor Uh, so it's it's more like I I kind of poke at the person and kind of let them sit for a while let it build up So this more of the way I like to talk in terms of bottoming I feel like as a bottom I like to be degraded and humiliated a lot more and I often find that my uh, bottoming is very related to my uh, how much I've been topping. So I think I need to be tied, and I need to be humiliated, and I need it to be very degraded because it helps me find balance. Uh, I feel like sometimes if I top too much, like I allow my 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 strong side, my ego, to run wild, and I need to be punished for that. <laughs> I really feel like switching is 100% necessary for me.
1: It brings Uh, you balance?
2: Yes, it brings me back to my, it makes me feel cleansed and very pure again to be tied after tying other people.
1: That's super interesting. Hey guys, this is Fox coming in for a short break. Listeners like you make this podcast possible. We want to continue making this podcast for you for a long time. And to do that, we need your support. Please go to ropepodcast.com to buy rope video lessons from experts, so we get a small commission on your purchase at no extra cost to you. In addition, a really great way to help us is donating on Patreon. A one-time amount or a monthly pledge that can be as little as the cost of your morning coffee makes a big difference to us, and you will gain cool perks like behind-the-scenes photos and the ability to vote on future podcast topics. Go support us on ropepodcast.com because you love rope too. You mentioned that you find it uh, difficult to get tied because you don't have access to the rigors you like playing with uh, and you can't so much find them in uh, China. What are your criteria for choosing what tops you play with when you're the bottom?
2: Generally, I want to feel like I am giving myself over to someone when I'm being tied. I like to surrender completely to what they want, and I want their character to show. I want to be like a, a doll for them. This is something I really enjoy. I like. I feel most empowered by being like a very good boy someone when I'm being tied. And generally, the problem I find here is that here, there's a lot of uh, culture of education being very top-down, right? Where your teacher is superior. It's just a, a natural part of East Asian culture. And for that reason, as I'm mostly seen as a teacher here, it's very hard for people to tie me.
1: OK. Because you, yeah. you have that position on the top, so to speak, and so they are a bit shy to uh, top you.
2: Although I try to actively make it clear that I don't feel in any way a superior and I definitely like to uh, Try to make sure that people feel comfortable around me I think it's normal that for a lot of people they've learned from me here So I have had people say that when they tie me they they, they can't help but think of it as an exam <laughs> So yeah, you're that's testing not testing them the whole way to... Yeah, which is completely untrue because when I get tired I'm, I'm I lose all sense of what they're doing really i go very inward uh, and i enter my subspace quite quickly so i think as soon as i know that they're trying to service me or they're trying to get my approval i lose that sensation very quickly so that's what's been the main issue for me about bottoming here
0: so, talking of uh, China, you have been there for six years and you're now moving away. So, so tell us a little bit about the rope uh, scene in China, because most of our listeners won't have a uh, sight of what that looks like.
2: Mm. So, the rope scene is very big here, and a lot of it in the last few years has opened up a lot more. So, BDSM, sexuality, shibari especially, has really become much more of a public um, Activity And a lot of young people who are involved in the nightlife or um, they're involved with, I don't know, like music or art, they tend to have heard of what shibari is or have even seen it. So I think that's really amazing to see what our community has done in the last five years or so to allow shibari to have that visibility and to have less shame towards it. But definitely for a long time before... A lot of people started holding events, including myself. It was a very underground part of society here where people used very discreet methods to meet each other. Uh, and there was a lot of shame about talking about it publicly. So I feel like there's so many shabari enthusiasts here, but so many of them are in the closet. Either, so it makes sense that there will be a lot of... BDSM yeah, <laughs> sure.
0: Um One thing I was interested in, so um, in our conception of what rope is, there's Japanese bondage, there's Western bondage, and I wondered if there is Chinese bondage that comes from China, um, and you talked about the political, uh, militaristic sense of rope. Is there a Chinese bondage?
2: Yes, there is. Honestly, there is probably as much Um, relationship to bondage and using it for political purposes or martial art purposes, as in Japan. But a lot of that content is lost due to communism and a lot of history and a lot of um, uh, resources have now been completely lost for people. But one thing that has always stuck out, and for most Chinese people, even if they have no idea what BDSM is, they've heard of something called the Five Flower Tie. I don't know if you've heard of it before. We have. We have heard
0: of it, but tell us more about it because we haven't heard (laughs) of it from the source.
2: (laughs) Five Flower Tie is actually something that a lot of people have seen in TV. It's in a lot of political movies where they're holding prisoners, but it was used even in Shanghai up to the 70s and 80s. So in some cases, some policemen even used it in the 90s. So I have some clients who get tied by me who said they've seen it actually happen in person, which is amazing. I wish it still continued, but I don't think this new generation of policemen use it. Hmm. But very much instead of using a handcuff system, it's very good actually for holding prisoners who struggle. Because the five flower tie has a very tight rope wound around the neck and around the arms. And it basically lifts your wrist up high. So if you try to lower your wrist, the neck tightens. And if you struggle at all, there's no knots in the beginning of the tie. So everything cinches inwards and it wraps around your arm. So it's definitely one that is more suitable for people who want to play this kind of role play. It's not really the most sustainable tie that you can use um, for holding someone for a long time. It's not actually very pleasurable. But it's very good for people who have that context of knowing what the fireflower flower tie it can really heighten the sense that you're a captured prisoner um, but it is definitely dangerous to tie if you haven't learned it properly i find
1: is it a tie that you use in play and a tie that you teach
2: it's a tie that i've been requested a lot so i only knew about it from people here a long time after i started doing sparring like i'd researched Chinese bondage when I first got here and I found it, but I never really looked into it. It was more a demand for me from clients or when I did photo shoots. So I had some photo shoots where people asked if they could uh, have a five flower tie um, or I had a lot of um, male submissives who wanted to be tied in that. So I actually learned it from the job rather than from my own personal interests. I don't mind it, I think it's pretty interesting but in the way I tend to play, I need something that really hugs the model a little bit more. And I like things that are a bit more versatile. Um, so I would tend to use more of a jutsu style of tie that is similar rather than the five flower one.
0: And what would you say the characteristics of Chinese bondage would be?
2: Mm. So before, a lot of people had access to... Um, mostly Japanese teachers. So around 2017, 2018, a lot of Japanese teachers came to China. Before that, a lot of people just didn't know about the community here, or a lot of people were quite afraid. I think for Japanese people, they don't know much about China, and they're worried about how um, safe it is to be doing BDSM and BDSM events in China. So they never really dared to look into it until people in my community started going over there, inviting them. So before that, there was a scene and I think someone had learned it from a video or maybe they'd learned it from an actual teacher uh, that developed in Beijing. So there is an older community in Beijing and they really developed a significant style that has influenced a lot of Chinese rigors before um, Borderline started and before the influence from Japan came. And the Chinese style, I would say, is very acrobatic. There is a lot of movements and a lot of transitions, very fast. Uh, This is generalizing. This is just based on this community that I've seen that a lot of people who have been influenced by them uh, tend to tie. It's very, very fast, very tight, a lot of very quick and like flipping over the body transitions in the air. And for that reason, I've met so many bottoms who have a long-term experience with bondage in China and they're not used to floor play at all. Like, They are always really surprised that I tie a lot on the floor and that my rhythm is very slow because they're used to like going up in the air really fast and flipped over and it's quite rough, but it gives you that real adrenaline. So I got tied by one of the famous, jibari, uh, famous Chinese bondage masters in China called crazy. People call him the big C. And it was very much, I felt like that's adrenaline rush of being on a roller coaster. So it's pretty exciting.
0: Wow. Who who else can um, our listeners check out if they want to find out more about Chinese bondage? Are there other names? Because this is something that's likely to be very opaque to people. So
2: Yeah, I think more and more Chinese people are using Twitter. But beforehand, a lot of Chinese people did not use any kind of social media from the West because of the yes. firewall. So even though I had a lot of names to recommend people, if you're not using WeChat, if you're not using Chinese uh, social media, it's very hard to be able to reach them or to see their work. Um, but nowadays there are a few more that are entering Twitter and entering Instagram too. I would say uh, Crazy or Tassy is definitely one of the major figureheads in Chinese bondage because he developed his own system of teaching, his own style of te, uh and he has different teachers as well. So it's definitely like a, a style, and I think he's on Twitter, I'll have to double check that. Um, and a lot of his students, I think, are, are very good too. Uh, otherwise. There's quite a lot of people in Shanghai. I think Shanghai now has become a hotspot for Shibari. And that would include um, me, Davide, who is a Italian rigger who set up Tie Up, which is a monthly rope party since 2018, I think. So that has been like an important gathering space to develop the community because it was always every single month. And that's how I also have met a lot of people and he started a bar, a rope bar, called Studio K, which has now closed down. Um, Also, there is a very well-known shibari group called 815 Shibari, who I have been collaborating on a lot with for online classes. And 815 Shibari were based in Tianjin, which is a northern city near Beijing, and they were Focusing on bringing in rigors from different countries to introduce to China. So they brought in a lot of Japanese shibari artists. They also brought in a lot of different European artists and um, they basically created a major hub for a lot of people to watch performances around China. So I would say the main groups are there are some individuals in Shanghai and then there's crazy and his Style, and then there's also 815 Shibari.
1: Dear listeners, our conversation with Hua Hua was really interesting, and we did not want you to miss any of it. As a result, you can hear the rest of this interview in the episode right after this one.
0: So that's all from us at the Rope Podcast.
1: Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from, and also come friend us on our FedLife page, Rope Podcast.
0: Follow us on Instagram, where our name is
1: also Rope Podcast. If you have a question related to rope, we'd love to answer it in one of our future episodes. Drop us a message on FedLife or Instagram.
0: If you like this podcast and would enjoy more episodes, find all the ways to support us on our website, ropepodcast.com. In particular, please consider supporting us directly on our Patreon page.